Hi, I'm Val Hart in San Antonio, Texas, founder of Val Hart and Friends at ValHart.com. Welcome to The Real Dr. Doolittle Show, the show for animals and the people who love them. I've been called a real-life Dr. Doolittle many times in my career as an expert animal communicator, behaviorist, pet psychic, and master healer. My mission and passion is to improve the lives of animals the world over by helping humans learn how to speak their language, how to understand their viewpoints, and heal. After all, our love of animals helps us be better humans, and the more balanced and healthy we are, the more balanced and healthy they can be, too. Be sure and look for my CDs on iTunes, and to find out more about my work and to receive your free Quick Start Animal Talk course, just go to my website at valhart.com. While you're there for a limited time, you can also apply for a complimentary Happy Animal Assessment Session. And if you want to learn how to be your own Dr. Doolittle, check out the world's first complete animal communication made easy system available now on my website at valhart.com. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Val Hart, the real Dr. Doolittle, and today I'm talking with Elise Gaston Chand. She's a horsewoman with over 30 years experience in horse management, breeding, competition, and industry marketing and advertising. Elise was a horse crazy kid raised by non-equestrian parents. Oh my god, I can wait, can't wait to hear about that. <laughs> and you're raising a young daughter who shares your love. I'm so glad. And you live in Texas, which is very cool because I'm in Texas too. Oh, that's uh, fantastic. Yeah, uh, your website, in case anyone wants to go there, it is on the Internet right now, is elisegastonchand.com, E-L-I-S-E-G-A-S-T-O-N-C-H-A-N-D.com. Welcome, Elise. Thank you Thank so much you. for spending time with me. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Great, great. So so what's something funny uh, or that, that uh, you can tell us that's happened in your life with horses? Oh, the difficult part is just picking one thing. Um, (laughs) I I suppose the first thing that comes to mind is the importance of ensuring that your girth is tightened uh, (laughs) sufficiently for the purposes of riding. I was out uh, as a child one day, and and, and my family, because I'm the only horse person in the entire family, with the exception now of of my own daughter, but um, many, many years ago, my brother and my stepbrother were often uh, tasked with keeping me company riding. Mm -hmm way out into the woods, uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, it wasn't considered particularly safe. We were way out in the woods of Virginia and West Virginia. Yeah, wow. And, yeah, and so I had I had two horses, because you can't have one horse alone. They're herd animals, <laughs> and they go a little yeah. crazy without company. And, yeah, and my poor stepbrother, who is the, the quintessential uh, urban, Dallas, successful, yuppie kind of guy, had never mm-hmm. been on a horse in his life, climbs on... <laughs> My, my bigger horse, and I'm on the smaller, and we're out cantering and having a fabulous time in the woods, and uh, I get ahead of him, and all of a sudden I hear him yelling, and I think, you know, he's faking because he, he was a big kidder, and I turn around and I look as we're cantering, and he's going sideways. The saddle had come completely loose and was on the side of the horse, and as I watched, it continued to rotate. The horse dropped to a trot, and he was he was spreading his legs as he was trotting, trying to swing them around my stepbrother as he continued to slide all the way down the horse's side, clinging to the saddle like a limpet, up under the horse's belly with his head tucked, you know, to keep no. him dashing on the on the on the ground. 
And, you know, there are weeds and they're smacking him in the face. And, it's, I mean, I laughed so hard. I literally fell off the horse I was riding. He, he's, he's screaming, what do I do? What do I do? And I said, well, let go. And he did. And happily, my, my horse jumped over him. And the last we saw of the two of them is they went galloping back to the barn, kicking and having a fabulous time with the saddle, banging around on, on the one horse's belly and the stirrups oh dragging. The, oh, it was, it was terrible. It was no, that's, that's hysterical. Terrible. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, God. and then we, we had a two-mile walk back to the barn to catch oh. the horses with my stepbrother, really, yeah. really annoyed and embarrassed annoyed. and Swearing he was never going to do this again. Well, and fortunately, he didn't get hurt. So, <laughs> fortunately, that's why it makes it a funny story and not a tragic. Yes, one. not a tragic one. Yes. yes, exactly. Oh my God! Oh, that's so funny. It reminds me of uh, I, too many incidents myself. So, yeah, first lesson, well, everybody. Growing, growing up, yeah, growing up in, in a non-equestrian family, literally mm-hmm. everything that could be done wrong. We did wrong, <laughs> and I am convinced I didn't have one guardian angel. I had an entire troop of guardian <laughs> angels who <laughs> oversaw everything that I did with and around horses because literally we did everything wrong. <laughs> oh, this is hysterical. So you've learned a lot of things the hard way. Yes. <laughs> and you're giving the rest of us the benefit of your uh, good experience and unfortunately have lived to tell the tale about uh, what not to do and what to do. Yeah, oh, gosh. Yeah. So so the book you've written, among others, uh, you've written a, a lot of books, uh, fiction and nonfiction, but the one we're talking about today is A Parent's Guide to Writing Lessons, Everything You Need to Know to Survive and Thrive with a Horse-Loving Kid. I love this book. Um, so, so we're going to talk about... Um, how to keep horses economically. Uh, I want to give, and I know you do too, part of part of the mission is to help non-equestrians understand and help guide their horse-loving kids' you know, activities. Um, and, and talk about training and instructors and writing lessons and, and, uh, and, and things like that. So, so what made you decide to write this book? I got mad. You got mad. I got mad. I, I was I was livid. I was absolutely livid. I was doing a um, a barn tour uh, of both barns and riding stables and equestrian centers. So the the differential there basically just denotes the size of the facility. So a, a mm-hmm. riding okay. barn might be just a small place where they have just a handful of of lesson horses. All the way up to an equestrian center could have. 10 professional instructors on staff and they tour mm-hmm. the country and they do lots and lots of very specific high level um uh, competition. Mm-hmm. So this runs the range and I was doing a tour of these barns and and I had um my daughter with me who at the time was about 5 years old. Mm-hmm. And as a part of the tour I'd go in and I I I observe lessons that were being given. I'd look at at the facilities the, uh, and and basically talk about the business of running uh, a horse farm in, in, in all its permutations. And I had the occasion to observe a lesson in one particular barn, which shall remain nameless, where they were putting children on saddlebreds. Mm-hmm. Um, now, saddlebreds, for people who are not familiar with the breed, beautiful, elegant, very upright horses. Their heads are very high. They're very sleek. Um, they're considered a gated horse, which means mm-hmm. they have a, a specific kind of a gait other than the standard walk trot canter that anybody who's seen a movie with horses in it has seen 
the way horses move, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And um, saddlebreds step very high, and so their movement is a lot like a sewing machine, you know, where it's it's very upright, the knees come high. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also rather difficult to ride, even for mm-hmm. someone who is a skilled and, and experienced rider. Mm-hmm. Compounding that, saddlebreds have a, a special kind of a saddle that, that professionals re- refer to as a slick. There's a reason it's called a slick. It's a cutback saddle, so the very front comes way back toward the rider's um, seat. Mm-hmm. It's a flat saddle, so there's no raised section in the back that kind of cups the rider. It's mm-hmm. just it's a flat saddle, so it's mm-hmm. very smooth. And then the surface of the saddle is slick, just like the name. Combined with the horse's movement, um, saddlebreds are also very spirited, very quick, um, very, uh, I don't want to say flighty, but mm-hmm. try to give um, more of, 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 a, of a rounded description of what their what their personalities are like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so people who ride saddlebreds are riding them for a particular reason. They love the spiritedness. They love the gait. They love the elegance of them. Mm-hmm. But they're not an ideal breed for teaching children, particularly young children. Yeah. And they're not an ideal breed even for teaching adults who don't already ride well. As I said when I began this this minor diatribe, um, they're they're a horse and a and 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 um, it's, it's a discipline that even experienced riders have difficulty mastering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're in this barn. I was horrified to see that their lesson horses were saddlebreds. Wow! And they had children on them. Um, wow! And that combination is is a very frightening combination. And sure enough, within five minutes, of this little girl who was my child's age being put on the saddlebred, she was on the ground. Mm. Now, these are also tall horses. Yeah. So, you know, they're 16 two hands, 16 one hands. I mean, they're they're big horses. And the child fell to the ground. She's crying. Happily, she wasn't hurt. Mm-hmm. But the instructor is like, get back up on the horse. Well, yes, when you fall off of a horse, the, the, the common um, directive is get back on the horse so that you can master your fear. Well, when you're five years old, you've just fallen from a height of about six and a half feet. Right. On a horse that's wild-eyed and freaking out, honestly, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, that's not the time to be forced back into something because now the child was very upset, frightened. The horse is becoming more and more frightened because the horse takes its its cues from the rider. If the rider is calm, the horse yeah. is likely to be calm. If the rider's yeah. frightened, the horse is going to think because of the herd instinct and the psychology, there's something to be frightened of. Yes. Well, the mom in all of this, I'm looking at the mom and I'm waiting for her to step in on her child's behalf and say, look, my child is frightened, she's crying, you know, th- this is not a pleasant experience for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, She's yelling at her child to get back on the horse. So Ugh. all of these things really, really upset me. They frightened me, they upset me, and I was I was most concerned for the safety of the child, um, for the experience of the horse, too, because this is not a great experience for the horse, and the animal yeah. is a partner in this. Yes, they are. And for the mother's not understanding as, as a non-equestrian that this was an explosive, very dangerous situation. Yeah. And finally, I was upset with a professional for not acting like a professional in the child's and the horse's best interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Came home, fussing to my husband, who's a non-equestrian. I was going on at great length about how awful this was and what it was all like. And after about, oh, I don't know, three hours of this, he finally said, why don't you go write it down or something, just get it out of your head. So I started writing. Mm-hmm. And before I knew it, I had written, oh gosh, probably about 150 pages. Because what happened was I started out with this premise of safety for children and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Right. And I thought, well, how would a non-equestrian know any of this? 
and and then I kind of got to and another thing and another thing, and <laughs> pretty soon the book was born. Mm-hmm. Wow, well, yeah. and it's a great book, and you covered so many fabulous points that God, I wish I had had when I was a kid, you know. <laughs> and I know that you know anybody venturing into this, you know. If you don't know that this is a dangerous sport, you know, or maybe you do and you're we're worried about that, you need some tips, you need some guidance. And the beauty and joy of connecting with your an equine partner and learning to ride is such a valuable experience. Uh for any child or anyone who really feels that yearning, um you should do it and you should certainly educate yourself and know what you're doing. Uh, in order like you said to be safe, to keep your horse safe. Um, and to have a great experience. Uh, so let's describe your book for uh, folks who have not yet seen it. Um, and again, the title is A Parent's Guide to Riding Lessons, Everything You Need to Know to Survive and Thrive with a Horse-Loving Kid. So let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. It actually started out as the parent's manual for horse-crazy kids. Um, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, uh-huh. well, it was more succinct. Um, and so when the title came back from the publisher, and I adore my publisher, and I saw what has to be the longest book title in the it's history pretty long. Of, <laughs> of books. Um, I, I literally could not remember the title for about the first week or two. And my child, my daughter, <laughs> memorized it. And then she would spout it for me uh-huh. at, at the speed of an auctioneer. And I had to go, oh, wait, slow down. Tell me, tell me that again. <laughs> and finally I just wrote it down and I put it on my computer so I could remember it. Um, really, it's, it's about a lot more than just writing lessons. It, it literally encompasses the entire experience. Of having a child who adores horses, yeah. and I, I, I try to approach it from the perspective that this is not some big mystery world. Um, one thing that I've noticed is that non-equestrian parents are very intimidated by the specialized language, you know, the terminology. Um, not just the horse. There's there's this this animal that's immense and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. moves very fast and is incredibly yeah. strong and has a mind of its own. Absolutely. All of that's intimidating enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the idea of putting your precious child up on top of that animal when yeah. you don't know anything about it, yeah. it has to be it has to be a, a frightening experience and, and yeah. an intimidating experience. And then you add this this rarefied air that, that uh, exists in a lot of barns, and not because... It's an exclusivity issue, although that does exist in some barns. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. But um, more because there's the inside, the people on the inside who know the language, who know the terminology, who are comfortable mm-hmm. around horses. Yeah. And then there's everybody else. Yeah. And so it feels like there's this wall that exists between the two dichotomous worlds within within a barn. Yeah. And I wanted to to provide um, an inside view to to give to give parents the the key to the kingdom so to speak and and help them understand that really it's not that rarefied you know there's there there is terminology but there's a reason for the terminology mm-hmm. um and yes there's there's a lot of tech yes there's bridles and saddles and girths and mm-hmm. saddle pads and everything's different according to the discipline and according to your skill level and according to any special needs that the rider might have right um but there's a reason for every bit of it just as the clothes for example look kind of strange, particularly in the English riding world. But there's a reason for all of it. There's a very mm-hmm. robust history from from the military mm-hmm. and the cavalry that resulted in the type of clothes that we wear today in English, just mm-hmm. as there is a robust history and culture that revolved around the Western discipline 
and why people ride in the clothes that they ride on the western side or the saddles and the specialized bridles that they have in that world. It's all intended to be very functional. Yes. And I thought that by explaining that and then explaining why when you're in a lesson, you go round and round and round and round, <laughs> and to someone who's not familiar with horses, mm-hmm. it can look incredibly boring and like not a whole lot is being accomplished. Mm-hmm. But if you have some insight into some of the things that the instructor's looking for and some of the things that the rider's trying to accomplish, it can yeah. make it a lot more interesting. And oh, then, yeah. Yeah. with all of this knowledge, the most important thing is the parent can participate. Ah. Because one of the things that I've seen in Barnes is that the parent takes the child, the child does the lesson, the parent sits in the car and reads a book or goes and gets a Coke or something and then comes <laughs> back and they go home. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and I really wanted this to be an opportunity, just like with soccer or with football or with baseball or volleyball or whatever the sports that other children are involved in, just as the parents can, can kind of get what's going on mm-hmm. uh, and, and participate and talk about it. Yeah. I wanted to give that same kind of insight into riding right. as an opportunity for parent and child to have something to talk about and to share. Yeah. I love that approach, too, because so often, you know, parents are wondering why they're disconnected from their kids. Exactly. You know, or they don't have the language, they don't understand them, you know. And so if you get your child involved and support them and their love for horses and their their need to, to fulfill that, you know, for themselves and you know, and, and what an amazing discipline. You know, it, it's you know, it's a lifelong discipline. Uh, it, it's a body, mind, and spirit discipline, right? Absolutely. And it's it's not it's not like riding a skateboard or a bicycle or a motorcycle even. Or <laughs> it, it's about partnering with an immense beast, <laughs> a sentient being. You know, with a big heart. Hope you know, hopefully, um, that you're entrusting your child's life to. Uh, to take care of them, and there's an intricate dance going on um, behind the scenes that you may not be privy to or know how to understand. And so if you open the doors of communication, oh, my God, how much richer can your relationship with your children be? Absolutely. And right. it's also incredibly healthy for the children, um, yes. particularly teenaged girls. There has been a myriad of studies done by um, psychiatric associations, uh, pediatric associations as well, about the benefit, the very real psychological and physical benefit of girls, particularly teenage girls, being involved with horses because, you know, the the teenage years are so rife with emotion and angst and and, Mm -hmm. and feelings of isolation. and, And to be involved with any animal, but particularly with a horse where you're establishing that partnership that you were talking about. Right. And reaching an, an, an agreement, a cooperative agreement with mm-hmm. with an animal, another being, it brings the child, the, the girl in particular, out of her shell and, and requires that she extend herself. She get out of her own head, get out of mm-hmm. the emotions or whatever that mm-hmm. that may govern other parts of her day and her life and connect with another living creature. Yeah. Um a terrific byproduct of that is that barns are almost always filled with girls who yeah. have the exact same interests, who are just as enthusiastic, who adore being around horses and are energetic and involved and vibrant and full of life, and they find this this um, avenue of, of self-expression, and they can share that with one another. So a child who may be very quiet and reserved at school um, suddenly can find herself in a barn with other other girls who are just like her mm-hmm. and 
and find her niche, you know, and, and yeah. really come out of her shell. Um, the physical component of it is is tremendous too because being around horses you know a lot of folks think that you're just sitting on the horse and the horse is doing all the work yeah wish. but there is a huge <laughs> physical component to this that you get a workout oh yes and, you are uh, if you're riding right you get a workout and and it has been long established the importance of physical fitness in children particularly with the uh with the, the, the increase and epidemic of of um obesity in the U.S., this is an opportunity to help combat that and to establish good, positive habits at an Mm -hmm. early age. Yes. Yeah, and with meaning. Yes, I I find one of the things about fitness for for all of us, uh, or for me especially, I should speak of, um, is if if what I'm doing physically as exercise doesn't have meaning or purpose or it's just, you know, repetition of, Mm -hmm. you know, walking on the darn treadmill or, you know, whatever – um, I'm not going to keep up with it. It's it's a lot harder to keep up with it. Um, but then when I get with horses, I don't even notice. I mean, I'm working hard for hours, yes. you know, and I don't even notice. It's just there to do, and I'm doing it, and my body's happy. It's like my body gets really happy, Absolutely. and I and I crave it. I I'm, I'm interested. I want it. I miss it when I don't have it. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah. That's true. There's there's also a wonderful component for uh, for disabled riders, yeah, um, and Talk individuals who may be confined to a wheelchair, for example, or who have mobility uh, restrictions, mm-hmm. yeah, can go to incredible places or therapeutic riding centers that are certified and, and they have specialized instructors and mm-hmm. actually yeah. a lot of of uh, health benefits, uh, yeah. the, the uh, health benefit providers right. will offer some discounts uh, just as they would going to any other type of of physical therapy so that individuals can ride. And Mm -hmm. the way the horse moves uh, actually mimics the way human hips move when we walk, Mm -hmm. and this helps to stimulate the brain and uh, and the related muscles of a body that otherwise might struggle to walk or might not be capable of walking. Mm -hmm. And it it allows a freedom when you think about it because now suddenly you've got greater mobility than a person on their own two feet. You, right. you could go from uh, confinement to a wheelchair, for example, onto a horse that's capable of running 35, 40 miles an hour. Right. Powerful. And it's just an instant um, transfiguration. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then autistic uh, children, you know, that when they work with horses, mm-hmm. uh, we've seen mar- miracles happen. Uh, yes. I mean, they, they'll come, uh, children who can't speak, uh, they get with their horse and all of a sudden they can talk. Yep. You know, or um, all kinds of amazing things happen. So it's well worth looking into for anyone that's considering it. Um, and, of course, the key is to be educated about what you're doing. Right? It's imperative. Absolutely imperative, imperative, yeah. So, Elise, when did you begin writing? How long have you been writing? Well, actually, my first word um, was <laughs> a mangled version of horse, and my parents <laughs> knew they were in for it. <laughs> <laughs> we we used to drive. Uh, I was born in Virginia in horse country, and, and uh-huh. uh, we used to drive past horse farms. We lived in a normal little house and everything, but we uh-huh. would drive by, past horse farms, and this was in the days before car seats and seat belts even. And uh-huh. so I would be pressed up against the window of the car looking at the horses in the pasture, <laughs> just, just yelling, horse, horse, you know, going uh-huh. crazy, whacking on the window, stop, you know, go back. <laughs> and uh, I would drag my parents down the street 
with carrots Aww. that I would steal out of the refrigerator. I'd pick up hands full of grass, anything that I thought might tempt a horse to come to the fence to see me. To me. Uh-huh. Yes. And so my parents finally relented, and they thought, well, you know what, the, the, the actual reality of being around horses is not going to be anything like the romance of it. Yes, they're beautiful animals, but, mm-hmm. you know, they're dirty, and, 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 and it's hard work, and they're messy, and they have minds of their own, and they don't always do what you want them to do. And so they would take me to these little carnival rides where back yeah. then you would you would get on a pony and instead of being attached to uh, like a wheel contraption that just goes in a circle, it was an outlined path. Mm-hmm. And you'd sit on the pony and the pony, you know, would just plod through the path and it would finally right. get to the end of the path and you'd get off and the pony would go back to his buddies. Uh-huh. Well, when I got to the end of the path, I was kicking and screaming to stay on the pony mm-hmm. and um, somehow... The owner of this facility decided that I was a kindred spirit and um, would allow me to just ride and ride and ride and ride and ride until I literally fell asleep in the saddle and my parents could pry me out (laughs) off of the pony's back and take me home. So technically, I started riding when I was about two years old. Wow. And I got my first pony when I was uh, seven. Wow. And he was Satan Spawn. His name was Barney. And I actually <laughs> mentioned Barney in the book. And this thing kicked me, bit me, rolled over on, uh, with me on his back, um, chased me around the, the, the backyard, because we had him in our backyard for a period of time, in, in the center of Dallas, if you can imagine. Oh, um, wow. Yes, before he was uh, summarily evicted and sent to a farm nearby. <laughs> But he he was he was miserable. He was absolutely miserable, and I adored every hair on that that beast's hide. Uh huh. But he was my first pony. <laughs> oh God! And you survived to tell the tale again. You, I, you, how many lives have you had now? I'm wondering. You know, I'm I'm not quite sure, but I I survived Barney, and uh-huh. then we we had a succession of other horses that, um, suspiciously, my parents' friends were willing to give away. Uh, just to get rid of. <laughs> so that first, saying, never look a, a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah. Always look a gift horse in the mouth. People will not give away an animal that has some intrinsic value unless mm-hmm. it is a miserable beast that nobody can handle. And we bought every one of them on the market in everyone. Dallas, Texas in the 70s. Oh, yes. my God. Yes, I had I had a horse named Joe who put a girl in a chest cast because he oh. her. Yes. Oh, my oh, oh, my favorite part about Joe was he he would not go forward. He would only go backward. Interesting. So to, to get away from the barn to go riding, I'd climb on him, and I'd have to back him away from the barn. <laughs> and we would back for a quarter of a mile before I could finally turn him around. And then he would spin on me, and he'd go galloping back to the to the barn as fast as he could. And that was my riding experience with Joe. <laughs> Every time I went to ride Joe, that's what we did. <laughs> Um, and he was also 16 three hands, and I was nine years old. Oh, God. Really bad combination. Oh. Gigantic horse and a little bitty kid. Oh, my God. Yes. And a succession of other horses followed who were equally bad um, until my mother happily discovered the U.S. Pony Club. Uh-huh. And, she, yes, they're, I'm convinced that they saved my life. And... Um, they uh they had a wonderful facility that was recognized by the USPC in um in Berryville, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Pigeon Hill Riding School to give them a little plug. Okay. And uh Susan Good corrected all of my bad habits and okay. taught me how to ride. She terrorized every one of us, but um she taught me how to ride and uh, for that I I will always be grateful because she she taught me the proper and safe way to do things. Oh, wow. Oh, thanks. 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 
Well, before I met Susan, I had never even seen a riding helmet, let alone proper riding boots. Um, So, yes, (laughs) I'm convinced she saved my life. Yes, and I'm sure she did. You know, a lot of people don't get that lucky. That's true. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of horse-related accidents, and that goes back to the point about your writing this book and educating people you know, this is not the way to do things. No. <laughs> um, you know, and there's a lot we can learn. And you got lucky, and I have to say I did too. Um, I had many horrifying experiences myself, and oh. like you, I still adore horses. So <laughs> uh, it didn't didn't break us of our horse habit. Um, but you know, there's a, a good way to do things, and there's a not so good way. So um, let's see. Uh, let uh, God. Horses and people, you know, it's just so interesting. So um, do you think horses become emotionally attached to their people? I th- I think that most horses do. I, I think yeah. that horses that have had the benefit of good handling, and by good I just mean kind, um, mm-hmm. kind and relatively informed, mm-hmm. um, I think that those horses can be like in any other pet and um, – and can form the same types of attachment. Horses who have been treated like, you know, a, a fixture, or who have even yeah. worse experienced negligence, or you know, yeah. beyond okay. that actual cruelty, yeah. um, to me have personalities very similar to cats, and and the stereotypical cat, not the average cat, because. Mm-hmm. We know that those two things can be quite different. <laughs> yeah. But um, the stereotypical cat, where they can take people or they can leave people, you know, and, and they know that people provide them with food and with shelter and comfort, but they also know that people make them work. Yeah. And so given a choice, those types of horses would prefer to be out in the pasture with their buddies. They're the ones who are herd bound, and so you try to ride them away from the group and they go nuts. Yeah. Um, and, and you get everything in between. Yeah. I think that there are also differences among horses um, in breed. Some yeah. horses, for example, the Andalusians and Lusitanos, have specifically been bred for, for um, personality, for disposition, mm-hmm. and um, uh, work ethic for centuries. They yeah. were cavalry horses, and they had to be very focused on their rider, very responsive, intelligent, loyal, all of those, all of those qualities had to be bred into them. Yeah. And then there are other breeds that were bred for a specific function, and they are superb at that function, but disposition and personality were not topping the list necessarily of what breeders were searching for when they searched for the perfect mare and the perfect stallion to combine genes. Right. Um, and as well, gender plays a role. Right. Geldings, you know, neutered males versus stallions versus mares versus mares who have foals by their side. There can be a lot of components, mm-hmm. which goes back to what you were saying before, which is these are sentient creatures with minds of their own, they have a social structure, they have their own lives, and we kind of fill a place within those lives, and we help to, in, in an ideal situation, ensure their, their ongoing health and well-being, right. but we're a part of their lives, unlike a bicycle, you know, you ride the bicycle, you put the bicycle down, and the bicycle yeah. is inanimate, and it does nothing until right. somebody forces movement on it, you know, until That's they right. pick it up again. Mm-hmm. Horses yeah. are not like that. No. No. Oh, one of the tragedies I've seen that, that one of my little pet peeves is to see people who uh, will go to shows, you know, to ride their horse, um, but they never, they don't really ride. Their trainer makes them like a push-button horse, yes. you know, and so the 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 little girl or whatever gets on and goes through the motions, 
Um, and then, but that's the only contact you really have with that animal. Everything else is, you know, <laughs> they're, uh, they're just, uh, they're cheating. I, they think they're cheating. And they're cheating themselves of what a, an incredible experience of learning how to be a true partner. I, I couldn't agree with you more, and it's it's one of the reasons that organizations like the Pony Club, um, mm-hmm. 4-H and their equestrian uh, section, I'm not as familiar with the others. I'm sure they're equally wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, why I think that they are so critical, because they teach the knowledge of the entire horse, of, of horse keeping and management, of safety, mm-hmm. the rationale bet- behind the different types of bits or bridles or saddles that, yeah. that can be selected. Right. The advantages and disadvantages of putting shoes on a horse. Um, uh, veterinary care. I mean, they they teach horse management all the way around, and riding is simply a component of having a horse in your life. Yes, it's it's one of it's just one of many. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do you think is so appealing about horses? Why why do we love them so much? What is that fascination? Have you have you thought about it? You know, I, I have at, at great length, and uh, out of curiosity, I've asked other horse people too, and um, have gotten a lot of a lot of different responses. I think what it comes down to is the the freedom and the beauty and the the, the expression of nature that we see in horses. Mm-hmm. They are they are freedom personified. There's nothing quite so beautiful as a horse running free. Yeah, and you can look at photos of horses in full stride or rearing or bucking and playing. You can look at um, a television program like uh, on the BBC or mm-hmm. on Nova yeah. or one of those wonderful um, uh, programs that, that, that will zero in on a particular species and go to great lengths to, to show you what their lives are like, an animal yeah. planet. Yeah. And they'll show footage, extensive footage of horses just galloping across the prairie, you know, the wild mustangs. And mm-hmm. you can watch it mesmerized. And even yeah. people who are not fond of horses yeah. can recognize and appreciate the beauty of of those animals and, and what they represent. Yeah. Um, you could also get intellectual about it and say, well, mankind and and the um, the growth of civilization has has occurred because of horses. It's occurred on the horse's back. Or with right. the horse in True. harness, everything that we've done, we have achieved because of horses. Now we have gone beyond horses now, of course, but I think it's telling that we even measure the strength of engines in, in terms of horsepower. Right. Um, because when people were first, Henry Ford first created the car, that was their their measure. How many horses does it take to move something? Mm-hmm. Right. And to this day, we still use horsepower. Right. As as, a, as a, a measurement. That's true. That's true. Mm. Wow. I'm just thinking, you know, the horses, I, there's such an incredible experience that happens when you come up and meet and greet a horse. Uh, I remember um, the last horse I had in my life, uh, Taylor, uh, he would play out in a 30-acre pasture with all the, with other horses. Um, and uh, when it was time for me to go, you know, uh, find him and let's play, um, I would call and I would hear him from the distance begin to run, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> and there was nothing that was more thrilling to my heart and still brings tears to my eyes um, to see him burst through the trees and, and, and jump over the, you know, the, the, the little hill and the hill and, and all that stuff 
in a full-out gallop with excitement, you know, his head high, his tail flagged, you know, flying with the breeze, you know, delighted to see me. Absolutely, and I'm actually getting goosebumps. I've I've seen that sight many times, and I never grow tired of it. It No. It is such such a gift that the horse gives you when he chooses to to turn away from from his herd and his Mm -hmm. friends and the freedom of being loose, and he chooses your company. There's nothing like it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right. I have an urge to go to the barn all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's cut this short. I think I need to go have a horse fix. Um, all right. So let's, let's go back then. So, so what do you, uh, it seems to me that your, your daughter is following in your own footsteps, which I can't even imagine how she would not. Um, (laughs) um, but do you think it's just, um, uh, temporary? I mean, should parents be worried that if they get their kids connected with horses that now they're going to have a, you know, a, a cow patty for a daughter, and <laughs> you know, um, if they're going to be like a lifelong career, or if it's just a passing fancy. How do you know? Well, there, there are a variety of ways that you can know, and I, and I think you've you've touched on perhaps the most important component, the very first step in a parent-child conversation about the interest in horses, because mm-hmm. you know there there are a lot of different ways to enjoy horses. Yeah, and most of the time, people think that means jump in full bore, buy a horse, buy a farm, go out there, live in the country, and do the Green Acres thing. <laughs> and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, enjoying a horse can be a simple matter of learning about them, um, yeah. helping out at a barn. Or right. it can be taking lessons or leasing a horse or, sure, ultimately buying a horse. It just right. depends. Right. But the very first step is to determine just how horse crazy your horse crazy kid is. Yeah. Um and the reality check is a huge part of assessing the level of interest because the reality of horses is as I said earlier, it's dirty. Horses mm-hmm. when they are untacked after a lesson or after being ridden or just because it's fun will go out and they'll roll in the dirt, they roll mm-hmm. in the mud, mm-hmm. they get leaves and twigs and all kinds of stuff in their mane and so the very first step is having to clean all of that. Well That's when right. you get mud and everything off of a horse, where do you think it goes? It goes on whoever's touching them and whoever's cleaning them up. Um, For people who are genuinely horse crazy, it's okay. You smell like a horse and that's just heaven. There's no perfume that is as nice as Mm -hmm. as that perfume or smelling like the hay from a barn. Yes, yes. I I still love the smell of a barn. I mean, just, ah, it just feels like home, you know. Yeah, all of all of your cares and tension and stress just melt away when you walk mm-hmm. through the through the door of a barn when you yeah. are particularly horse crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. A- another thing, <laughs> another way to gauge is to ask your child, you know, if you have to make a choice between the lesson that you committed to going to yeah. um or going to a friend's birthday party or watching that special program on TV or, mm-hmm. you know, fill in the blank, going to see a movie. Mhm. Are you going to stick with the with the commitment to go ride? Are you going to love it enough? Or yeah. if it's freezing cold outside, yeah. you know, the, the, the wind chill is even worse, and you have to bundle up in order to go ride, are yeah. you still going to want to ride? Yeah. Because it's not always 75 degrees and gorgeous outside. Um, there are going to be days, particularly in Texas, where it's 100 degrees outside. Yeah. And there are mosquitoes all over the place. So the the reality versus the romance 
is always the first assessment that a parent needs to make because then that gives you a clue as to how far your child is going to take it and, and how in-depth you need to be to learn about it. Yes. Yeah. Good. That's a really good point. Yep. So parents, take heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, it could be a passing fancy, um, and only time will tell. But you know what? If you don't ever have the chance to pursue your passion, um, then it's an unfulfilled dream. You know, and you'll never know. You'll never really know what the gifts were or the the lessons or the, you know, how it could have changed your life uh, if you had gone that way. Whether you stuck with it for the rest of your life and made a career out of it or not. You know, I know uh, horses teach us about leadership and they teach us about responsibility and they teach us about, you know, caring for another being and listening to them and learning from them and partnering with them, teamwork, you know, you name it. Um, they teach us so many things that we use in every everything in our life. All our relationships, our work, whatever we choose to do, you know, all of that comes into play. It, it also helps um, significantly in developing maturity and judgment right. and right. Um, sticking with your commitments and thinking things through and, and, yeah. and also anticipating. That's I mean, a good know, one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. With, with a horse, if you're riding along and you see horses off in another pasture that are panicking or running, just playing, yeah. Um, you have to anticipate how your horse is going to react to it and be right. ready to deal with that. Right. Or if you are in a field and um, you unwisely left the gate open behind you or just, you know, didn't quite push it all the way to, right. a horse is going to see that in two seconds flat and be you going did. for that gate. <laughs> and you you have to anticipate what could happen yeah. and ensure that you don't leave anything to chance because right. an old horseman's... Uh, saying is that if there's a possible way a, her- a horse can hurt himself, he's going to do it. He'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In a padded stall, he will figure out how to hurt himself. <laughs> yeah. I've seen it happen. Yeah, yeah it sounds like you have experience. Um, well, you, you have one horse, and, and you certainly gain, gain experience, but you have an entire herd of horses, and, uh-huh. boy, you see it on a daily basis. <laughs> oh, God. Give them more to do so they're not so bored. I don't know. I don't know. That's that's the um, thing. That's the thing. Yeah. And and part yeah. of the difficulty there is that people don't allow horses to be horses. They want to keep them up in stalls and keep them beautiful uh-huh. and clean and um, contained. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. that's not conducive to horses' psychology. They need to right. be in a herd environment out, you know, in, in different kinds of weather so long as it's safe for them, you know, no lightning right. or hail. Right. Right. Um, or or terribly chilling winds, but they they need to be allowed to be a horse. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Uh, do you have any other wonderful uh, or any other fun stories that we can learn from, maybe of your own personal experiences or your daughters? Oh wow. Let's see. Um, yeah. Uh, what's what's terrific fun for us is going out and. Um, and she has a pony, a, a Welsh pony. That, oh, good. Uh, I oh, I had her. a Welsh pony when I was a kid. That was my first Aren't they horse. wonderful? I, oh, she was oh, amazing. Oh, my God. Big brown eyes that were just would go right through your heart. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, well, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Abby's pony yeah. is called Little Bit. Okay. And um, we bought her uh, for Abby's second birthday, and she uh, she's about to turn nine. Abby is about to turn nine. So you okay. can see we've had her all of Abby's life. Mm-hmm. And um, little bit is 
an absolute treasure. She has the sweetest disposition. She never takes advantage, ah. whether it's in the arena or on a trail. And um, she takes very good care of Abby. Mm-hmm. Now, the funny thing is, um, Little Bit is very concerned about Abby's balance. And so when Abby was going from a walk to a trot, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a difficult transition to make because yeah. the trot, even on a smooth-gated pony, and happily Little Bit has a smooth gait, yeah. Uh, it's unusual for a pony. Normally, it's a very rough gait, the trot. Yeah. But even even with what is uh, a smooth gait on a little bit, it is still up and down. Yes. And so Abby, trying to make the transition from the walk to the trot, you know, a little bit would begin trotting. She'd go about three strides. Abby would start bouncing because she hadn't quite found her seat and how to ride the trot or how to right. how to do the rising trot. Right. And a little bit would just stop because. Abby felt insecure in, in, in the saddle. Yeah. And I'd watch, and a little bit would turn her head, and she'd look up at Abby like, you know, hey, are you still up there? <laughs> and yeah. uh-huh. and uh-huh. The, the only way that I could get a little bit to keep trotting so that Abby could learn how to ride a trot, because you, you can't just intuit how to do it. You actually have to do it in order That's to right. develop the seat. Right. Only way I, to, I, right. Yeah, the, the only way I could induce a little bit to keep trotting, it's like, it's okay, Pony, she really knows, you know, she's got to do this. She needs to learn was, how. You had to give her time. Right. Was was <laughs> to uh, either jog beside her, because a little bit, I, I train all of our horses to run beside me, because there are times when they just have to do it. Yeah. And and to to get her to trot beside me so that I'm jogging while, you know, while we're doing this, yeah. or to lunge her, which is where you stand right. in the center, with a long line going to the, the horses or the ponies' bridle, and they go in a circle around you. Yeah. And by doing those things, you know, it still took some con- convincing to, to a little bit that she really did need to keep trotting, that Abby was okay. Um, <laughs> but we we got her to do it, and now now the two of them are partnered very well, and they trot all the time. We're we're getting ready to do the trot to canter transition. Oh, really? And Abby oh, can't oh. wait. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Oh, there's just nothing like a great canter. Oh, it's wonderful. Uh. I know. Oh man. Oh, oh, yeah. I gotta go get a horse fix. Okay, <laughs> making me really. Um, okay, so, so what advice do you have for parents? I know that's um, a big question. Get the book, obviously, <laughs> get a copy I, of your book, which is I great. That that would be terrific. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. Get the book. Probably why I was drawing a deep breath. Okay, where do I start? <laughs> um, you know, I always come back to safety, and and safety to me is. Um, Incontrovertible. It is. It is non-negotiable. Beginning to end, safety must always be the primary thing that that the trainer thinks about. If you, if you work with a trainer or an instructor, and and for non-equestrian parents, I absolutely recommend that they get somebody knowledgeable to help. Right. Again, teaching their child. Learning to ride is not going out on a trail ride and doing the nose to tail thing. People who do that are sitting on a horse. Yeah. And um, I don't mean that to sound elitist, but there's a massive difference between sitting on a horse that's just going to go head to tail and follow on this, this well-worn path back to the barn right. versus being on an animal um, which you, you are controlling in any situation, in right. safe situations and dangerous situations and right. something that you know, something that just crops up that you have no idea that it's even coming, a bag blowing past under your horse's feet. Yeah. You have to be able to respond right. to all of it. That that is riding, That's and an instructor can help a child or an adult learn how to ride in those in those instances. Right. Um, one saying, and horsemen have a million sayings and a million opinions, but mm-hmm. one saying has always been, no helmet, no horse. Mm-hmm. Um, I add no boots 
no helmet, no horse. And the reason for that is every summer, it seems, when horse camps are popular, yeah. kids are out of school, parents are working, kid has to go someplace, let's send him to a horse camp. Um, the kids show up without helmets. They're not required to wear helmets. They're wearing sneakers, and they're riding horses. Um, the, the, the danger of a sneaker or any shoe other than a riding boot yeah. is that that foot can slip right through the stirrup. Yeah. And when when you have a rider who is uh, inexperienced um, or even an experienced rider can lose their seat and fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If your foot slips through the stirrup, you're going to be dragged. And yeah. there is nothing more dangerous than than that happening. Yeah. Um, it panics the horse. It, I, I, I mean, I, even thinking about it just gives me chills. I, 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 yeah. I have a hard time formulating the image in my mind of yeah, being dragged. I, I just noticed I'm, I stopped breathing. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a terrifying, terrifying thing. There are two yeah. things that yeah. terrify all riders, and the very top of the list is the foot going in the stirrup and being dragged. Yeah. Um, the second thing is for to ride an absolutely crazy horse that would rear and fall over backward on you, but happily yeah. those are few and far between. Yeah. The yeah. Um, the easiest way to address the, the dragging issue is to have a good riding boot. Yeah. The second aspect of a riding boot is if a horse were to fall sideways, the the sole of the boot is rigid mm-hmm. and helps to protect the foot from being crushed you know, side to side by the weight right. of the horse. A horse, right. it weighs a tremendous amount. A pony weighs five, 600 pounds. A horse can weigh 1,000, 1,200 pounds or more, depending upon the horse and the breed. Correct. Um, and the third thing that a boot does is the toes are reinforced. If you're going to be around horses, walking around horses, grooming horses, some point you're going to get stepped on. Yes. If you're in a sneaker, your foot can get broken. Yes. In a boot, your foot's protected. So it may not feel good, but your foot is going to be protected. And, yeah. um, you know, yeah. the three excellent reasons in my mind to only ride with, with boots, um, yeah. even casually, even jumping on a horse and going across a pasture, got to have the helmet on and got to have the boot on. Yes. Yeah. One thing I wanted to, to point out about helmets is that it's not just enough to have a hard hat on. No, no two hard hats are the same. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that it is a certified helmet and uh, the reason for that is there's a certification process that has to be met to ensure that that helmet provides adequate protection in the event of, of a fall. And riders are always imagining worst-case scenario, and amazingly, we still ride anyway. <laughs> but um, <laughs> ensuring that that helmet is certified is the first step. Yeah. And while there are pieces of equipment that can be purchased um, through resale, which is a terrific way to... to have your child ride economically. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Boots, for example, could be purchased that way. Clothes could be purchased that way. A helmet should never be purchased that way. Right. And the reason is helmets have a lifespan, um, like pretty much everything else. And uh, the lighter weight helmets, for example, that look a lot like uh, bicycle helmets, yeah, they're filled with a, a filling that grows dry and brittle over time. Uh-huh. And consequently... Those things have an even shorter lifespan than the more traditional riding helmet with a rigid uh, uh, inside structure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the certification that I'm talking about is ASTM slash SEI certified. And all of those acronyms stand for, if anybody's curious, the American Standard for Testing Materials mm-hmm. and the Safety Equipment Institute. 
So they test more than just riding helmets. They test a wide variety of sporting equipment to ensure that it, it meets safety standards. Yeah. And yeah. I simply wouldn't. I don't ride. After 30 years, actually more than that, since I started riding when I was two, um, I I will not get on a horse for any reason without a helmet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've actually had a helmet save my life. Wow. And it's that one time, you know, it's like insurance. It's that one time that you need it that yeah. you sure want to have it on your head. That's right. Yes. Really good point. And that brings me to the point also is that there is a lot to learn. There is. So, yeah, you know, and I like <clears throat> one of the things you say is that our, our children's and our own, our love of horses can be something we can participate in uh, whether or not we share that same passion, mm-hmm. right? And, Absolutely. Um, um, and it's it's critically important to ask the right questions, to find the best instructors, to learn the ins and outs of horse shows if you're going to do that, mm-hmm. and to know how to take those next steps. So education, right? Absolutely. And, Does that help? and one of the things that makes me anxious, going back to that saddlebred example that we kind of started our, our, our conversation with, right. is not to just assume that someone who owns a barn and has horses is qualified to teach. Um, yeah, they may know more about horses than a non-equestrian parent, but that doesn't mean that they're qualified to teach anybody, and it doesn't mean that their standards are appropriate and that their yeah. concentration is on safety, that right. they know how to teach, that they know how to teach appropriately, not only for age group, but also for experience or inexperience levels. And by the same token, just because they have horses, it doesn't mean that their horses are qualified to be lesson horses. Yes, less not horses all. That's right. are treasures, absolute yes. treasures. Yes, because they put up with so much, yes. and they're required to be patient and to have good manners, hour after hour after hour with inexperienced riders, bashing them on the back or yanking their mouths. And, yes, uh, you know, on and on and on. Yes. and um, they're 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 absolute treasures to find, and not every barn that offers lessons has good lesson horses. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Great point. Good. And you've got tons more. <laughs> <laughs> so, everybody, again, the name of Elise's book is A Parent's Guide to Writing Lessons. <clears throat> um, and, again, we're talking with Elise Gaston Chand. And uh, so, Elise, how do you want people to contact you? How can they get a copy of your book? Um, well, two answers to your question. The easiest okay. way to, to track down uh, information would be on the website. Okay. Uh, EliseGastonChan.com, as you said when we first started talking. Okay. Um, all of the contact information is there. Okay. Uh, as well as how to track down a copy of the book. It's at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Borders. Excellent. Um, and for people who are in other states, it's uh, also at the um, – the Gift Center at the Kentucky Horse Park in Lexington, oh, Kentucky, the Virginia perfect. Horse Center, which is my old stomping ground. Wow, awesome. Yeah, in, in Lexington, Virginia, um, okay. two different states, same city name. And uh, I believe it's now at the L.A. Equestrian Center as well. Awesome. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, Yeah, because the more we get this out, you know, it's so interesting because we don't have horses in our lives like we used to, mm-hmm. you know, ages ago when everybody had a horse and Horses worked, helped us survive, and they did so much for us. They were and now, yeah. yeah, and, and now ah, it's, it's, it's like we've lost a part of our soul when we disconnect from horses. So 
Um, I find there's such a treasure of healing, of um, of growth, of it's a spiritual journey too. You know, to be with a horse, it's a and there's so many gifts that they give us. So, um, I guess for everybody, then uh, final words. Uh, what would you? What would? You, what would your final final thing you want everybody to know? <laughs> well, just just a couple of things that okay. As as complex as all of this sounds, with the terminology and the breeds and the colors and learning and instructors and equipment and everything else, it really is not that difficult to to get into it. And the learning process is is an important one. It can be a fun one because your child would be learning it all at the same time too. Now they they may have had um an earlier start because they were the ones who kind of instigated the, the interest mm-hmm. in horses. Right. But still they will be learning in, in the entire process and there's an opportunity for the parents to learn along with them. Yes. It's possible to be involved with horses economically. Yeah. Uh I list a number of resources uh, throughout the book um, on ways to find less expensive equipment, on Thanks. how to uh, utilize clothes, for example, that your child already has at home. Um, you don't need special outfits just for training yeah. uh, unless you're in a very, very unique situation, and then the instructor would tell you, and probably the cost wouldn't be an issue at that point. Yeah, um, right. Trainers and instructors may or may not be qualified to teach your child. You know, we talked about that before, yeah. but I think that it it is absolutely critical that parents not be intimidated by um, by an instructor or a, a trainer's degree of knowledge. That doesn't mean not to cooperate or mm-hmm. to uh, speak openly with the trainer and the instructor, mm-hmm. not to respect them, but it does mm-hmm. mean to be sure that they genuinely have the level of knowledge experience, expertise, the equipment, the horses, and everything else that they need in order to teach your child effectively and safely. So don't think that they're professionals simply because they know more about horses than you do. You know more about your child than they do, and you never should be in a position where you feel you need to abdicate the the control or the directions that your child receives or the, the situations that they find themselves in. Yes. Well said. Okay, parents, take heart. <laughs> take heart. And uh, if you've got a horse-crazy kid, uh, educate yourself and be sure to give your your child the gift, um, the amazing, life-changing gift and opportunity to be around horses, you know, to fulfill that, that desire, that passion, that interest. So, thank you, Elise. <clears throat> I Thank so you enjoyed. So much, Val. It was my pleasure. Yeah, I've so enjoyed talking with you. Okay, everybody, go get a copy of her book. Check it out. Uh, EliseGastonChand.com or the book is A Parent's Guide to Writing Lessons. Thank you, Elise. Thank you. <laughs> Talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the show. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, go to valhart.com forward slash blog. And if you're someone who values a non-invasive, holistic solution to resolving problems with your dogs, cats, and horses, and you want better behaved, healthier, and happier animals, just go to my website at valhart.com to apply for a complimentary happy animal assessment session. And be sure and remember to look for my CDs on iTunes. Learning how to talk with animals is fun and will change your life. So while you're there at my site, get my free Quick Start Animal Talk course. 
and check out the world's first complete animal communication made easy system. May the love of animals bless you, teach you, inspire you, heal you, and reconnect you to the circle of life. <laughs>